This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, we share our strength, and we share our hope. Tonight, I have this pleasure and privilege of bringing you the second episode of season three, which is episode number 48. And this is kind of an interim episode that I've been wanting to do for quite some time, but it just seems like with 2020, everything, nothing stays the same. Uh, What is it? The center does not hold. And my life has been changing just along with everybody else's. And so I, I, I want to do an update to kind of let my listeners know where I am, what I'm up to, how things are going, um, to the extent anyone cares. But also, uh, you know, it's just, it's just good for me to kind of say like the best laid plans, what happened, how did it go? And I want to get to putting content out on the episodes and and the podcast, of course. So what I found myself doing was, and I'm sure this is is akin to what people do with their recovery and their program. It's it's as as many of you listeners know, I'm I'm a practitioner of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's the same thing in in that pursuit as well, as I'll do jujitsu when I get in shape. I'll I'll stop drinking when I dot 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 or I'm gonna try to manage my drink, you know, whatever it is, it's same thing with the podcast. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do a podcast episode and bring everybody up to speed on what I'm up to and where I've been. And then, well, yeah, but something changed. And, and next thing you know, a year has gone by. Uh, I, I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to say that almost a year had gone by between episodes and that's just not good enough. And I feel like I let my community down and I let myself down by not putting out content. So we started last week with Live Like You Were Dying with episode number 47. And I'm going to put out, try to put out, well, no, I'm not going to try. I am going to put out an episode every week on Wednesdays. Um, and what I want to do starting next week is I'm going to get jump into a book called The Homely Virtues by... A man known. He, it, it's strange that today this would seem sort of maybe it'd be more normal now, but for my lifetime, this isn't normal. But there are people who appear to have two names. Um, now, is it was it two people or is it? Um, I don't know. But this guy's name was Ian McLaren, but I've also heard, heard him referred to as John Watson. And y'all have heard me refer to Ian McLaren about it maybe in the last two years. The podcast, I did an episode where we talked about the essence of courtesy during the holidays and how I got to that concept of courtesy and this beautiful article that was published in British Weekly in 1903 or thereabouts. And it talked about Well, the reason I got to it was because I was doing some sleuthing to figure out if Plato really said, be kind, every man is fighting a hard battle, as apparently every bumper sticker says uh, uh, in the town where I live now, and... And, and and in most towns, and you'd see these Plato, you know, like, like somehow Mother Teresa actually said, you know, 
every man for himself. And you're like, I don't think she said that. Well, it's the same thing with Plato. I, I was kind of like, I don't think Plato said that. But somebody's making a lot of money making bumper stickers that say that Plato said that. So I did a little sleuthing, and I found out that, in fact, Plato had not said that. And that the first kind of uh, emergence of this phrase was actually a Scottish or British writer, um, philosopher. I don't, you know, you decide. But, and, 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 it, and he had not said be kind. He'd said be pitiful. Be pitiful because every man is fighting a hard battle. And, and, and I'm going to read that again so that I get it correct or so that I state it correctly <clears throat> for you. But I, in my sleuthing, I discovered where it came from, and it was a book called um, The Homely Virtues. And, and it is attributed to Ian McLaren, John Watson. The book cover says John Watson, D.D. I haven't figured out what that is. But it's got several chapters in it, the final of which is called Courtesy. And um, in my desire to bring, you know, to keep the literary content of the podcast high and to bring in books and poems and things that I think reflect on recovery and reflect on our common journey to be better people, to be better human, you know, to be our our most genuine, authentic, kind, loving selves, living happy, joyous, and free lives. You know, I'm going to keep trying to bring books that I think and, and poems and articles and, and weave them into my story uh, because I think it's my way of, of, of sharing my story and turning my mess into my message um, is what this is all about. But that's going to really start in earnest next week um, with episode 49, but for now, for episode 48, I would like to just kind of be a recap on what I've been up to and how my program is going, and um, and hopefully uh, give some some inspiration if if inspiration is due, maybe maybe some some criticism if criticism is due. As always, you can reach me um, at there are basically two ways to reach me right now. One is Gregory B the letter B, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-B, at extravagantpromisespodcast.com or at extravagantpromisespodcast on Instagram. You can DM, you can leave a comment. Um, However, I absolutely welcome constructive criticism, kind, hopefully, uh, constructive criticism, but if it's unkind, that's cool. Just as, you know, um, reviews are most welcome. You know, I, I would love it if people would start leaving reviews on iTunes or wherever you do reviews. Um, I want to increase the platform and, and start to really get the message out. And please feel free to share my podcast with whoever you might benefit from it. So before I jump in, let's go ahead and go through those, those little housekeeping items that I put at every podcast. Um, first is this is not an official or sponsored AA meeting. It is not in fact, an AA meeting. Um, I am a member of AA, but um, I, I am, you know, always trying to be mindful of anonymity and keeping, preserving my anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. But I don't want anyone, especially newcomers, to think that I'm holding myself out as like an AA meeting or that this should be something that you can do instead of an AA meeting. 
this is merely a compliment to your program. Um, this is a mere a, a, an opportunity to engage, and for you, the listener, it's an opportunity to engage in the recovery world and and hopefully learn and listen and 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 garner you know ideas and things about your recovery it's it's my act of service but it is not something that's approved by um aa Uh, second of all i am not a mental health professional Um, i i have had years and years of intense therapy and psychotherapy and counseling which i strongly recommend to everyone it is fantastic if you get somebody who's really good um you know if you are somebody like me who's always trying to improve yourself and, and on a journey of self-exploration, that quest to be better, to heal, to forgive. I mean, psychotherapy is a great complement to your recovery program. I 100% um, am supportive of that. Number three, um, <clears throat> uh, number three, this is and will always be a commercial-free endeavor for me. This is an act of service, an act of charity. I will never solicit nor accept any kind of contributions to the podcast or demand a paywall, nothing like that. Um, I would love to see this community grow. I don't know where it'll take me. I don't know if there's eventually a way that I make a living off of anything associated with it. I, I honestly... I don't know, and, and I'm not really worried about that. What I'm worried about is getting the message out and helping the next person, helping the next alcoholic who's suffering to attempt to bring my message to them. Again, um, experience strength and hope. But but this will always be a free and commercial, uh, commercial-free endeavor, an act of charity and service on my part. And the fourth part of the podcast is that uh, anonymity. Um, many know who I am. Many can probably find out who I am. But please protect my anonymity and protect yours. Um, this is, you know, we we take no positions on outside issues. Uh, we're not political. We don't we don't condemn or support any religious orthodoxy or political ideology. Um, we are commercial free. This is a charity, so. Please do not out me. Do not dox me. I beg you, um, you know, preserve my anonymity and, and preserve yours. I will always respect your anonymity. Um, I will never, ever uh, engage in anything that's, that, that would, could be read as, as outing anybody. Um, so, yeah, cool. All right. going to sip on my coffee here. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think if you listen to the body of work that is this podcast, you would, you would discern that um, for the better part of 30 years, um, I was a trial lawyer, um, and for the better part of 22 years, I practiced law in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I had my own firm, I had my own life. Once upon a time, I was married and have a beautiful, two beautiful daughters. Um, I still have two beautiful daughters, but I no longer have a marriage. Um, 
And, you know, at some point in the, I would say it was in 2019, um, as many people probably will recall from some of my podcasts, um, you know, I started to get to a place in my recovery and in my life where I, I realized that my, I don't know, I, I don't want to blame anything and I'm not, and I'm not saying anything was bad, but I would just say that, that I had gotten to a place of comfort and, you know, happiness, joyousness, and freedom that I felt that the, the life I was living was no longer consistent with my desires, maybe not, not consistent with my happiness, but it was also inconsistent in my opinion with my recovery. I do not suggest that being a lawyer means you have to be an alcoholic or that it's not, you can't be sober and be a lawyer. I just found that the stress and the life that I was living, um, especially coming out of a high conflict divorce and everything that that and the industrialized divorce complex um, did to me, you know, I just I just could not square up those things any longer. And I came to a place where I was able to leave the country for three months and live in Italy. And it was, um, yeah, I was lucky. And yes, it was certainly a privilege to be able to do that. I would submit and I would love to engage in a dialogue with anybody who's listening who might have skepticism about their ability to do it. Almost anybody can do it. Um, I mean, assuming some basic, uh, some basic things, you know, um, if you're not incarcerated or, you know, I don't know about mobility, disability, I still think you almost anybody could, could do what I did. And it doesn't take a tremendous amount of money. Um, what it just takes is sort of a willingness to let go of those things that bind us and to, to, to take a leap of faith. And I did that. I lived in Italy and it, and it did in fact change my life. And, um, that was in the summer of 2019. And I, um, you know, I went and when I went there, I, I was, um, I was unhealthy. Um, I was sober. Uh, I was very militant about my program. Yeah, certainly, no doubt. But I was, I was a little bit adrift spiritually, and I had a tremendous amount of back pain. And I don't know what it was, you know. But basically, my routine in the mornings was, I would, um, I would wake up. I would meditate and pray. I would do like less than 10 minutes of kind of a stretching or kind of a yoga type little routine I had. And I would write. And then at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I would sling my little bag over my shoulder with my camera in it. And I would go out and I would take a right out of the palazzo where I was living and I would go into a church right there. And I'm not Catholic, I'm not Italian, I don't speak Italian, even though I'm trying to learn. But I would just sit there, I would light, a, I would light two candles. One was for the woman who raised me, who passed away right after my 50th birthday. I spent my entire life with her, and she passed away 
2017. And she was probably the most important, influential person in my life and, um, and the kindest, most selfless person in my life. I would light a candle for her and I would light and that same candle for my best friend who passed away um, very early in his life, 44, 45 years old, very suddenly, and created a hole in my life through which uh, I ultimately was able to emerge from the, I mean, I went into a dark hole of alcoholism and self-loathing and hatred and anger and everything. And, and, um, it imploded my life, but out of that implosion, I, like a Phoenix, I was able to come out of that and have the life I have now. Um, so I would light a candle for them and, and then I would light a candle for myself and I would sit and I would just pray. And I would ask for God to come into my head before I did to help me stay sober today. And, you know, usually for some specific relief for certain things. You know, my mother, my, my biological mother had a um, health scare, and I was addressing that. Um, you know, my partner, I wanted her to be healthy and happy and joyous um, and, and for my children, things like that. And then I would just go walking, and I would get lost on purpose. Uh, it's a safe place to get lost and it's hard not to find your way back where you want to be. Uh, <laughs> um, it's kind of like the maze, you know, you just put your right hand on the right wall and just walk until you come to the end. And, uh, um, and you know, I don't know. Um, uh, but over those months, you know, I just, I, 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 I I lost weight. I don't know how, because um, I was eating a lot, and uh, but I was just walking, and I was praying, and my back pain also went away. Um, it's not forever went away, but it was pretty interesting to see that happen. Um, and then when I came back, you know, I came back to the states, and it was like okay, back into the fray. And I I, I tried to reimagine and redevelop the firm that I had built over my lifetime my professional lifetime, you know, um, to be a different type of place and, you know, to see if we could do it differently. And really, you know, my heart wasn't in it. And I realized like it was, I, my partner hates it when I say this phrase, but it honestly, it was like getting a little bit pregnant, you know, like you can't, um, you can't do the type of work I did with the type of clients I had and, and be the kind of organization I wanted to be. You know, they're just not compatible. And I did not think that I could do the type of work I did um, and represent the type of clients I did and be sober um, long-term and serene. And so about a month in, late October, I mean late September 2019, I made the decision to fire all my clients and shut down the firm. And that was very difficult, um, but it was so awesome. So, um, I decided that I was going to move to my childhood birthplace, um, either on an interim basis or kind of, you know, who knows what basis. Um, I was born in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I decided to move up here and, um, you know, kind of go, go this direction. And I had an old farmhouse that I was renovating and, you know, that became, sort of, well, maybe I'm going to end up living there. And I, I didn't know, and we didn't know. And uh, in the interim, 
uh, probably around the time of my last podcast episode, you know, I, I, I decided to go on a journey. And the idea was that I was going to drive my car to the West Coast in a big horseshoe. Like I was going to start in Virginia and end in Virginia. And I was going to go down essentially to the close through the southeast across southern Texas and then, you know, through Colorado and Utah and Arizona and then spend uh, three weeks in um, California. And um, I was going to do a thing called the Hoffman Institute out there. And then I was going to come back the northern route, see some friends in Montana and Idaho and try to see like Mount Rushmore and things. And just was all told was going to take almost uh, maybe two and a half months, something like that. And, um, you know, and it, it, it was really cool and it started out great. Um, I was going to, you know, I, it was really cool. I went through Athens, Georgia, went to, and I'd try to go to AA meetings everywhere that I went, you know, hit a meeting multiple times, you know, in whatever place I was. And that was just awesome. That was probably, you know, a few things are just the highlight. Um, you know, I, I ended up in, uh, uh, yeah, I went through Athens, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Oxford, Mississippi, where I'd never been, um, spent some time with my folks in Louisiana. And then I was down in New Orleans, New Orleans was actually, I love New Orleans. So, uh, Crescent city angels, you know, please don't hate on me, but, uh, that was actually a pretty horrible experience, and, and it was my fault. Um, I came in. I wanted to spend two nights there, staying at the old Pontchartrain Hotel, and I knew that Mardi Gras was coming, but it wasn't close, and I forgot what New Orleans is like in the lead-up to Mardi Gras. And um, as a sober guy, uh, man, it was it was not cool. I got I could barely get into my hotel because of the crowds and the and you know this is a couple of weeks, maybe a month, maybe long maybe a month before everything started to shut down. And so no one knew about the pandemic. no one no one, you know, I'm sure Mardi Gras was a super spreader event. Um, you know, I got into my hotel room and it was muggy and in the middle of February, it's like muggy and wet and it's raining and there's trash everywhere on the streets. And, you know, drunk people everywhere. And I thought, like, what on earth did I get myself into? Um, so I got up the next morning, and I went to an AA meeting. It was a great meeting, super crowded in this, like, tiny room or, you know, kind of like a typical AA room above above a bar, a coffee bar or something. It was it was a great meeting. It was packed. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how I didn't get sick. I have no idea. But um, anyway... You know, I, and I was like, I'm getting out of here. And I, I, you know, did the meeting and I went back to the hotel, I loaded up, and I drove to Austin, Texas that day. And I spent a couple of days in Austin and then I went to a town called Marfa, Texas. And um, that was funky. Uh, far west, far out west or far west Texas, they call it. And I went to a couple of meetings there and that was, that was super cool. But being way out there, I don't think people really have a genuine understanding of how gigantic the state of Texas is until you personally drive across it um, in your adulthood. It um, wasn't the first time I've driven across Texas, but it was the first time in many, many years. And um, 
I went to the art installations and things like that that are out there. And I also, even though I was very close to the Mexican border, um, what was really interesting was that it was, um, it's the high desert or they, you know, I don't know what you call it, but it's like elevated. It's cold, you know? Um, and, uh, and it was just, wow. I felt like I was like if Mad Max and like, you know, um, I mean, and Odysseus like had a baby. I was that baby, you know? And, and, uh, you know, just driving my, my car and, and, um, it was cool. I know I keep saying that. I'm sorry. Apologies. This is an unscripted kind of, you know, get you up to date podcast here. And, and you're like, how's it relate to your recovery? Well, here's how it does is that I was, um, I was checking in with my sponsor almost daily. I was talking to other alcoholics every day and I was you know, listening to podcasts and things, but I was also going to meetings everywhere I went if I could. You know, um, some I, I'd get there too late at night, but I went to a lot of new meetings across the country, and that was absolutely the highlight of the whole trip. There were other amazing parts. Um, driving from Marfa, Texas to Santa Fe, New Mexico was super cool, super scary because, you know, I realize I'm in this two seater, you know, coupe kind of thing, hammering the miles out. And I'm up in, uh, I think it's called uh, Mount Guadalupe uh, on the border of Texas and New Mexico. And it's like eight or 9,000 feet. You got to go over this mountain range or small mountain range, but it's a high mountain. And it's snowing, you know, and there's probably several hundred miles between me and a gas station or, uh, you know, safety if I blow a tire or I hit a deer or something. So it's just desolate out there, and it was cool. I took some pictures and on, got to Santa Fe, and then I went up to Vail, Colorado from Santa Fe, and I snowboarded for two weeks, and that was super cool. And there's a beautiful, um, there's like, I almost, cre I credit Vail as one of the places where I feel like I got sober. You know, it wasn't the only place, but early in my sobriety, I started, when I would go out to Colorado, I'd hit a meeting there. It's on Gore Creek, it's in the chapel there. It's so gorgeous. And there's so much good vibe there because you've got, you know, people who are tourists who are coming in to ski, but they're trying to stay sober in, you know, that environment, which is tough. And then you've got a lot of locals who have a lot of sobriety and they became a big part of my, my sober community. And, um, yeah, then from there I went to Arizona and spent a long weekend in Sedona, which is a funky crystals kind of I don't know what they call them, vortex you know paranormal kind of place and spiritual and that was pretty cool and then I drove west to California to basically I linked up with my daughter my youngest daughter in San Diego and we were going to go on a college tour up through the state of California you know San Diego LA and then uh South Bay kind of San Francisco area and then um and, and at this point, the pandemic has, has hit, you know, it's hit the markets, it's hit, we, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody's acting like it matters, but it was just, you know, bizarre. Anyway, um, so everything, basically life got cut short, you know, and you're like, I'm sure boohoo, you know, this living out, living the dream on your road warrior trip. But, you know, I, in LA, I decided, you know, this, the second half of this trip 
isn't going to happen and I need to get home. And so I put my daughter on a plane and I left LAX in my car and just basically started hammering it home. And it was like a black cloud, almost like something out of a sort of post-apocalyptic in a world kind of movie. Like it was like following me. Um, you know, Lake Havasu was, it was like Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness or something where you're Lake Havasu and there are all these like retirees, you know, on their pontoon boats and drinking and whatever. And then, and then all the spring break kids who, and you're kind of like, don't y'all realize like there's a nuclear winter coming on us momentarily. And, you know, I just got there and like, you know, went to sleep and then drove to Santa Fe and then Santa Fe, I went to Dodge city, Kansas. And I now understand the, the, the meaning of the words get out of Dodge. It was just such a grim experience because of, you know, the cold and the, you know, clearly we're, we're into something that's going to be pretty, pretty horrible for the world. Um, and then Springfield, Missouri, you know, it's like just ghost town at that point. And then Huntington, West Virginia, I saw, you know, trash cans outside of boarded up by this time, you know, closed like fast food restaurants and there's just like overflowing trash cans and things. It was literally like out of something out of a, of a, one of these like horrors like Cormac McCarthy movie or something like where did the humans go? And, um, and then I got back. Yeah. Drove into Charlottesville and, um, and so then it became, okay, what do I do with my life now? You know, like life has changed and, you know, am I going to leave Raleigh? Am I not? Am I, you know, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to join the sober community here. And that's kind of what I did. And, you know, I haven't been on a plane. I used to fly for pleasure internationally, locally, you know, domestically once or twice a month, you know, uh, back in the day. And then for business, of course, same, you know, but I haven't been on a plane in um, a year, basically. You know, I went on a New Year's trip. And I haven't been on a plane in a year. And I haven't, you know, it's just interesting how, how this has all been. I'm not doing the, the Gregory pandemic story for everybody. It's more just to say, you know, how, what, what have I been up to? And so what I've been up to is uh, my partner and I um, sold some property in Raleigh. And we moved to Charlottesville and this is home now. And, you know, what the future holds, I don't know. Um, I'm basically my, my life now is try to be healthy, um, pursue my pursuit, continue my pursuit of, uh, in the martial art of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, stay sober go to meetings, um, podcast about recovery. And I'm trying to write, to write a lot. So I'll probably be breaking out a Substack um, newsletter or something to accompany this podcast and do some writing with that. And also writing some fiction. Still doing that. And um, hopefully my novel, uh, which is completely unconnected to my sober life in a way, in a way not, um, you know, that'll be out, um, this year, coming year, I hope. Um, so that's where I'm at, you know, and, and I know some, some people may be like, okay, I'm going to unsubscribe from this podcast. Cause this is really not interesting to me. 
But, you know, I just wanted to kind of cram as much intel into what did I do and how did I end up here? And there's so much more to it. It's like, because, you know, what I've taken you through is like April, you know, April 4th or so, or March 13th or somewhere in there, you know, when, when it all just started to come down and I just drove home. Um, what have I done since, you know, the stresses that I've gone through since, how did you stay afloat since, you know, how did you deal with unwinding all of the drama that I was living in, in Raleigh? Um, yeah, I dealt with all of it. And, you know, what I found is, um, I don't like zoom meetings. Um, but I also realize like, you know, the, the one cool thing about a Zoom meeting and a, a Zoom AA meeting, excuse me, is you really have no excuse. You know, um, it's not, oh, it's raining. I don't feel like it. It's too early in the morning. I have, um, I've only been to one live meeting in nine months. Um, you know, up in Northern Virginia, I hit one. It was super cool. It was in, actually in a cemetery. Um that's the first. I've never been to a AA meeting in a cemetery. But but we were in a cemetery by a church, you know, and we were socially distanced and it was cool and we shared and um I loved it. Um I also have and I would strongly you know, I, I, I like I like being on good Zoom meetings. Um <coughs> and, and in my opinion there are no bad meetings. Um if you stay long enough. I mean if you don't like it don't go to the meeting, you know, to find something else, a, a different meeting, you know, don't, don't, don't suffer in silence or whatever, just because, but, you know, there's this like New Zealand meeting that's 24 seven. And that at first I was like, man, this is weird being on a meeting with like 150 people from all over the world. And then I started like realizing like, you know, there's, it's got its own hive. It's got its own beehive feel like they're, you know, they've got a group that are service group that keep that thing going. And you start to hear stories of people who are just struggling. You hear people with like decades of sobriety. And I was like, man, I dig it. You know, I did what I really love is, is the fact that I can get on, I can come late, I can leave early, I can do whatever, but I can always be in a meeting. Like, there's no excuse for me. Like, ah, oh, shit, I missed it. I don't want to embarrass and be coming late. No, go ahead and get in, you know, and get some meeting. So um, I think that's going to be one of the cool aspects of Zoom and the pandemic is that, you know, I, I don't know if what it'll do. To, I think live meetings are still, you know, there's still something amazing about human contact, about the community. But, um by the same token, I do think that that we're in a world where this this Zoom type existence is going to be with us for maybe forever. You know, it's going to change things, and you know, um, I, I I'll probably do a podcast episode on that. Like my my impressions of like Zoom meetings and Zoom recovery. Like, is that possible? Is it good? Was it bad? What what you know? I don't know. I don't want to be too opiniony and advice giving. I just want to share my experience, strength, and hope. So, my my experience is that um, a Zoom meeting is not the equivalent of an in person AA meeting, but it's got things that are better and 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 different. It's different, 
And it, um, you know, the strength is, is that there's really no excuse not to be in a meeting when you need one and when you, and, and every day, you know, and, um, and the, that, that to me, it gives, it gives also the chance to see people who are not your, just your usual group. Um, I came from a community where there were a lot of meetings and that was really cool. And I have lived in communities like in Venice, Italy, where there's like one meeting twice a week and it's the same five people and a couple tourists. And that's super cool. But, you know, it also like, do you have the same robust new experiences and all that? You know, it, it's, it's just different. So, um, I think, I think zoom is here to stay and i think that's been something that i've i've come to embrace and and dig uh that it, it's 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 just another club in the bag you know it's another arrow in your quiver of how to fight how to fight your disease and how to stay sober and how to how to how to live live sober um thank god it's there and yeah and so you know i am still a licensed you know fully accredited whatever lawyer but um i am not practicing law anymore and and i am considering you know going inactive in my professional life and my licensures and things and you know kind of making the decision to leave that behind and like cortez like sean connery the late sean connery said and when playing you know scotsman playing a russian in the hunt for red october said when Cortez reached the New World, he burned his ships. That's my attempt at Scottish accent. Um, you know, uh, and that way his troops were well motivated. Um, so maybe it's time, maybe this is, maybe the ships are already burnt. Maybe they're lit on fire. Maybe I'm holding the match. I don't know. Um, but it feels like I burned my ships. And, and not in a negative way, like burn bridges and, you know, hurt or no 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 i left with my head held high i left with my obligations met you know i left you know with my campsite left in better condition than i found it and but it's time for me to move to close the chapters to close to close that that chapter of my life and different chapters that are associated with it and move move on and that is probably the biggest thing is how do you do that and, you know, you're changing your geography, you're changing your profession, you're changing your way of life. You know, how do you do that and stay sober? That could be an awesome angle to take the podcast in, in coming weeks and months. But, you know, for now, you know, I introduce myself as kind of, you know, if I have to, if I'm on a board call of some sort or charity or whatever, you know, I, I'm, I say like, you know, I'm Gregory, um, I'm a retired trial lawyer. I'm an author. Um, and if it's the right environment, you know, I'm a friend of Bill W's and um, committed to, you know, my recovery and to helping others recover. And I like saying I'm an author. It's kind of cool. I mean, I, I, you know, I've written a lot in my life, but um, I don't want to be a fake either. So, so. <laughs> You're probably like, okay, time to wrap up. So uh, that's my pandemic kind of blurb is there's so much more to it, but that's really it was the pandemic and my conscious 
my crisis of conscience, you know, really collided. Crisis conscience collided. Um, you know, and it gave me the opportunity to completely reinvent and reboot on the direction and the trajectory of my life. All the while staying on the rails, you know, I'm not going off the rails. I'm not, you know, looping out of the, uh, you know, breaking free of the, uh, gravity field. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in the gravity and the, and the rails of sobriety. And I hope you can be too. So with that said, um, I will wrap up this evening's podcast and like I said, the next week and beyond, I'm going to be focusing on this book called The Homely Virtues, and I think it's going to be pretty awesome um, because it's just a book that I – it's just one of those like a great poem that you found that's like, dog, you know, that really has just got the, got the words in it and, and says so many things that I, um, that I feel so passionately about. So I'm pulling up. I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, do I, do I have the promises memorized? Close, but not so confident that I would not want to have it sitting here next to me before I read it. And as we do with every podcast episode, let's close with the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize we work for them God please come into our heads always before we get there and first please if it is your will look after the sick and suffering inside and outside the rooms especially the newcomers especially those during the holidays who are alone who are trying to be sober or who are struggling or questioning their relationship with alcohol or drugs or substances that person who's out there alone right now maybe in a truck stop somewhere questioning how they're going to get through the light life in the holidays alone how they're going to how they're going to make the payment on their house or their apartment Do they, are their kids going to call them god please are there are there are their parents doing okay do they have do they have the will the resources the ability to 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 get through to hold on through the holidays god we know that you have that power and with that power 
inside us. We, we can too. But God, please help them. Please help them in this holiday to know that you love them like we know you love us. Help us stay sober one day at a time. Help us be true to ourselves. Help us live lives of honesty. No secrets. Lives of, of, of goodwill and courtesy. And to be kind and pitiful to our fellow man and woman who's fighting that hard battle. Amen.